thrilled to have on the line with me Rob Nadelson. You know him. He is a nationally known constitutional scholar and written a really important book, The Original Constitution, What It Actually Said and Meant. And so he is the go-to guy whenever we have questions regarding the Constitution, the Supreme Court. Rob Nadelson, welcome to the Americhicks. I'm thrilled to be with you, Kim. It's always great to have you on. And and uh, you are busy. I, I don't know what goes on in your brain in your pen. I mean, you come out with such important pieces. It takes me a long time to write things. And it seems like you, you know, you... It, it seems easy that you write these. Is it easy or does it take a lot of time? Well, it demonstrates that if you do something long enough, even the person with the most mediocre abilities can accomplish something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy that at all. I don't buy that. Um, I'm, I'm a, you know, I've been uh, writing for news outlets now, uh, I hate to say this, but um, about 55 years. I've been writing for news outlets. I started as a teenager, and uh, my first job out of – I wasn't even out of school. was as a stringer. And so I eventually picked up the ability to do it. Now I can now, now what's a stringer? Uh, a stringer is someone who um, is not a permanent – is not a regular salaried employee of a newspaper, but um, is out there in the community and writes stories about what's going on in the community for the newspaper. And so that's what I did, actually my first job. And um, over the years, I've developed a way to to put out uh, op-eds fairly quickly, more quickly, I think, than most people can do. But that overlooks the fact that for the week before I'm writing, I write a daily caller op-ed every week, and I write a, a column, an essay, longer essay for the uh, Epic Times every month. And the actual time sitting down writing it doesn't reflect the fact that for the, you know, for days before the column is due, I'm obsessing over it and doing research and so forth. So it actually, the actual writing may not be too time consuming, but the rest of it is. I get it. I totally get it. So, well, I want to talk with you. Uh, there, another place where people can find your pieces is, is at the Complete Colorado. And Complete Colorado is an excellent news source. They aggregate stories from all over. Uh, the state, so it keeps you apprised of what's going on. But the other thing is, is if you click on the banner at the top, they have original pieces. And I wanted to ask you about your piece, first of all, from July 2nd. Uh, you said, no, we do not have a conservative Supreme Court, you know, with uh, the whole Kavanaugh, you know, um, fireworks, you know, getting yeah. him con- confirmed. People kind of went, oh, we have a conservative court. And you say no. So talk to us about that, Rob Nadelson. Well, this actually appeared first in the Daily Caller, and Complete Colorado, with my consent, agreed to reprint it. Back uh, in November, when the current – let me back up just a little bit more. Supreme Court terms run from the beginning of October to the end of June. So the term that's just over is actually called the October 2018 term, even though it extended mostly into 2019. And early in the October 2018 term, I said, look, when the, when the decisions start coming down from this court, you're going to be seeing that this claim that we have a, a conservative Supreme Court is simply inaccurate. Um, the New York Times is a great promoter or has been a great promoter of that line. We have a 5-4 conservative majority. Well, when the term was over, I wrote this, this column you're referring to going through case after case after case after case, 
demonstrating that at best what we have is a central centrist Supreme Court, that for every so-called conservative victory, there was a liberal victory. And that uh, and it wasn't just Justice Roberts. I mean, people were say to the conservatives like to blame Justice Roberts for flipping to the liberal side. Sometimes other, Gorsuch, who has become one of the more originalist members of the court, flipped to the liberal side on several occasions. And so um, the court is certainly not a conservative Supreme Court. I was disappointed to see today that NPR, though, uh, National Public Radio, is still pushing this conservative Supreme Court line, and it is really unethical, I think, for them to do it. One other point. Both the liberal media and conservative politicians have interests in talking about a conservative Supreme Court, because the liberal media will say, oh, you know, this is why we've got to change the court. This is what we're complaining about. And conservative politicians will say, well, you know, this is why you have to elect conservative presidents, because you get a conservative Supreme Court. We don't have a conservative Supreme Court, and we haven't had one for many decades. Well, and when we're talking about the re-election of Donald Trump and, of course, all the fervor about trying to not get him re-elected, I think one of the things that, you know, people realize that are really thinking about it is this next president is probably going to get another one, possibly two Supreme Court um, picks. And that's a pretty big deal, isn't it, Rob? Not necessarily, Kim. I'm going to surprise you. You are surprising me. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, in, in in 2016, a lot of people said, "I'm, you know, I don't, I don't much care for Donald Trump, but I'm going to vote for him for one reason for the Supreme Court." In the wider range of things, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference. In fact, it may actually be counterproductive because, um, well, let's take for example the Convention of States movement. When when uh, President Obama was in office. Uh, there was a strong uh, momentum toward the Convention of States movement, which would give us a permanent reform, a permanent uh, uh, return to constitutionality. When Donald Trump gets elected and he gets a few Supreme Court appointments, uh, then uh, people kind of let up on that. Momentum has continued, but not with the same strength. They tend to assume that the problems have been solved because we've elected a conservative president, but that's clearly not true. Um, the, the federal debt, for example, is one thing that is looming over us that the president has done nothing to deal with. The, I'm not saying that one should ignore the Supreme Court. I think it's a factor to consider when you're deciding on a presidential candidate, but it should never be your primary factor. There's another aspect to this, too, and I touch on to the column. Republican presidents actually have horrible records as far as trying to appoint justices that they describe as originalists, people who believe in the enforcing the original Constitution, or they'll sometimes use the phrase strict constructionists or conservatives. Republican presidents, by and large, have not succeeded with that. Uh, over the last 50 years, there have been 19 uh, Supreme Court appointments by Republicans and only eight by Democrats. And yet, uh, you've still got four firm liberals on the court, and five other people who were sort of kind of all over the map. As a result of that 50 years of predominantly Republican appointees, we have only one, one justice on the court who is a consistent uh, originalist, a consistent advocate of applying the Constitution as it was supposed to be applied. So over the long haul, I'm not sure it makes much difference. Many Republican nominees have not only become 
uh, centrists like Justice Roberts, they flipped over and become hard, hard to the left, like John Paul Stevens, for example, wants to abolish the Second Amendment, or, or David Souter, or, or, or uh, Earl Warren, or William Brennan, and the list goes on and on. So what I'm saying, Kim, is it's a factor to take into consideration, but the Supreme Court appointments are not as, a, as important as both Republicans and Democrats tell you they are. Oh, interesting. And the uh, uh, originalist is Clarence Thomas, yes? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, okay. and, and I will say that I will say that Neil Gorsuch has some tendencies in that direction. I think he's turning up turning out to be a good justice. You know, originalism, having having a judge who's originalist or having a judge who's a principal judge doesn't necessarily mean that he or she is going to reach conservative results. Uh, and in the case of Justice Gorsuch, he flipped to the liberal side, and I think justifiably, in two cases involving Indian treaties because he conscientiously applied the original meaning of those treaties. Interesting. Okay. Well, hey, Rob Needles, let's go to break. This has been fascinating regarding the Supreme Court, but you have another piece, uh, let's see, from the Daily Caller regarding here are 206 corporations to boycott. (laughs) I want to find out who they are. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Rob Nadelson. This is Kim Munson. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to be having a conversation with Rob Nadelson. You know him. He is uh, a former um, law professor. He was a law professor for 25 years. He is a nationally known constitutional scholar. He is the senior fellow in constitutional jurisprudence at the Independence Institute. And he is the author of a very important book, The Original Constitution, What It Actually Said and Meant. And uh, before we we continue the conversation, I just want to give a shout out to Complete Colorado. Complete Colorado is uh, the news source that you need to check out every day. They actually update uh, their news stories three times a day. So it is very, very quick, very relevant about what's going on. But they aggregate stories from all all over the state so that you know what's going on throughout the state. And then additionally, they have, if you click on the banner at the very top, It'll take you to some of the original news uh, or original opinion pieces. And, and Rob, you typically have something on there on a pretty regular basis. And uh, there is one that I wanted to mention, and that is uh, Carl Honecker had done this really important piece about these uh, early childhood taxing districts that they're talking about uh, being able to pass at local government. And he has this piece in Complete Colorado. It says, early childhood taxing districts are just subsidized daycare by another name. So I think it's important that you get your brain around this particular issue because with uh, Governor Polis wanting to have uh, uh, full-day kindergarten and and daycare, we need to understand that issue. And as I mentioned, you need to get your brain around these issues. So go to Complete Colorado and check that out. But Rob Nadelson, you have just done a piece. Here are 206 corporations to boycott. You started off with, uh, my business has been a good customer of Best Buy. The giant technology, and me too, I should mention, the giant technology and appliance retailer for quite a few years. But we will no longer be dealing with that company. What's up, Rob Nadelson? Well, first, let me second what you have to say about Complete Colorado. I mean, as the Denver Post uh, continues its tailspin into leftist oblivion, uh, Complete Colorado is becoming the the best go-to source for uh, Colorado news. Um, and so I have very high regard for it. 
Um, there's another website called The Daily Caller. I write for that every Monday morning. And the column you're referring to is not quite out yet. It will be in a few in a few hours, but uh, listeners to your show are getting an advanced look at it. <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> here's, the, here's the background, Kim. Um, I, I have a consulting business, and almost every uh, almost every computer we have, almost every peripheral we have, is purchased from Best Buy. I've done a great deal of uh, business with Best Buy. Then I discover that that company has filed, or is one of 100, uh, 206, that have filed a friend of the court brief in a, in a Supreme Court case called Bostock versus Clayton County. And what they're arguing in Bostock versus Clayton County is that the 1964 Civil Rights Act, uh, that it's a um, prohibition against discrimination based on sex, should be expanded from male-female to uh, uh, homosexual conduct to uh, transgender conduct and so forth. Now, uh, I don't take a position in my article as to whether the the, uh, 64 Civil Rights Act should be expanded, but if it should be expanded, it should be done by Congress. I mean, that's that is the agency, the democratic agency that the people have for passing laws. You don't you don't uh, uh, change the meaning of a law. Uh, by judicial fiat, and yet that is what Best Buy and these other 205 companies are asking the court to do. They, it is absolutely certain, absolutely clear, uh, by all measures of evidence, that when Congress passed the 64 Civil Rights Act, uh, when they banned discrimination because of sex, they were not talking about transgender conduct or homosexual conduct. They were talking about uh, essentially giving equal rights to women. And um, and it is a very old tradition in our system. It's at the center of our judicial system. It's been around for hundreds of years that when the legislature, the people's agents, passes a law, you interpret the law according to how the people's representatives de- uh, wanted it to be interpreted. You don't change that interpretation. That's not democracy. That's oligarchy. And, and that's not the rule of law, that is, uh, that's tyranny. Uh, and yet that is exactly what Best Buy and these other 205 companies are asking the Supreme Court to do. Well, and Rob, I've thought a lot about this. Back in ni- 1964 was a different time than where we are now in America. And when you, when you um, take out and, and identify people as in a group, and, and then you give that group certain rights. I think that once you start to give um, people special rights, then you no longer have equal rights. And uh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, that, that, that has become a problem with our civil rights laws. Look, there is something in this country called freedom of association. It's actually protected by the First Amendment. The term association is not used by the First Amendment, but it's understood to be incidental to our right to petition, to our right to free speech, and so forth. Freedom of association is a First Amendment right. Now, that means that that includes the right to do business with whomever you want, to associate with whomever you want. In 1964, Congress made the decision to limit that freedom, and I think for some good reasons. 
there had been a history of what's called invidious discrimination against certain groups in our country. And so Congress passed this narrowly targeted law prohibiting or limiting freedom of association, limiting the ability to discriminate on the basis of race or color, national origin, or, or, or sex, uh, male-female. Uh, but it, is, it still represents an exception to the wider freedom of uh, freedom of association. Now what's happened is that the states in particular have been, uh, they started with fairly narrow civil rights laws, and they've been expanding them again and again and again. And every time they expand them, they constrict individual freedom. And they also run into problems like the Masterpiece Cake case, where uh, these statutes start to interfere with religious freedom. But in the in in the the case I've written for in the article I've written for the Daily Caller, I focus on a different problem, and that is you've got these 206 companies actually asking the court to disregard two fundamental principles of American government. One is that when the people's representatives pass a statute, the statute is interpreted according to the desire and the intent of the people's representatives, and the second fundamental, and that's the part of the rule of law. And the second fundamental uh, uh, provision or principle uh, of America is, is, um, is democracy. The, the court is not a lawmaker. It, if, if it comes time to change the law, then what these companies need to do is they need to ask Congress to do it, not the Supreme Court to do it. And I end the column by saying, you know, what are they going to ask next, that the Supreme Court uh, just declare that we're a monarchy? I mean, th that, that's the kind of attack on our American constitutional system that these companies are engaged in. And it's not just Best Buy. It also includes companies like Apple, American Express, AT&T, Domino's, Lyft, Citigroup. Another company I do business with, Wells Fargo. They're not going to be doing business with me for very long. And uh, Americans need to be aware uh, when companies like this try to subvert fundamental American liberties and American rights. Boy, we're we're going to be at just about out of time. But I, what on earth is happening in corporate America? I'm looking at this list that you, there's the link in your article, and they're supposed to be in the business of doing business. And what has happened at these these businesses that they're over here trying to make this happen? Well, of course, they're arguing that if we have a law that requires or uh, requires people to hire. Uh, people who engage in homosexual or transgender practices, that that's going to be good for business. It may be good for their businesses because they're all very big companies and they can afford the compliance costs. And one effect will be to put their smaller competitors at a disadvantage because their smaller competitors may not be able to uh, afford the compliance costs because it's not just you know technically complying with the law. They're going to have to have training for employees are going to have to deal with lawsuits and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I can see a company like, here's another one, Amazon on the list. I can see a company like Amazon saying, great, this will put out some of our smaller com uh, competitors out of business. So part of it's probably just corporate greed. Mm -hmm. There also is, as you know, a well-organized blackmail machine mm -hmm. on the left of this country. And who knows what kind of pressure they put mm -hmm. on these, uh, these mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. Follow the money. You know, that's one of the things is, uh, is big government 
and big business like each other because of just what you said. They can put in laws that small, the small mom and shop guy, uh, they have to comply with. And, and so before they can even, the small mom and pop shop, before they can even get their business going, they have all of these costs to try to get into business. And it's slamming yep. the door on the American dream. And I want to I'm going to say shame on all of these companies <laughs> that are this on is, this list. This is one of the, Kim, this is one of the reasons why the most the, the states that tend to be dominated by the progressive left, like California, New York, New Jersey, and so forth, one of the reasons why they actually have the greatest levels of inequality in the country. When the left complains about inequality, it, we need to remember that the states that they control – are the ones that have the greatest inequality, in part because of the regulations they pass that squeeze out the little guy. Wow. You know, and Rob Nadelson, I think that you gave me this quote. I wrote this down, and I've been trying to find it. You said the rule of law, and we're, we're, we're going to talk about the law of the Constitution. The rule of law encourages true hopes and discourages false hopes. Do you remember saying that? Um, <laughs> I, I think that, I think it was that. you. I think it was you that said that. I wrote it down. Hey, we are out but, of time. But I, think it's a wonderful, I think it's a wonderful quote, and I agree with it. <laughs> well, I think you said it. So we are out of time. We're going to have you back next month. Okay, these are just fabulous conversations, Rob Thank Nadelson. You. Thank you so much. Yeah.